Welcome everyone to our very first episode. I'm so excited to be recording our very own podcast here at Wander. We've been talking about doing this for a very long time, so I, I love that we get to finally share our knowledge and how we do what we do with our audience. And our very first guest is the first person that you meet at the door if you've ever contacted Wander. He's the one who's heard all the crazy ideas and qualifies whether we're a good fit to work with your company or not. So Gio, welcome to our podcast. Pleasure to be here, Ginny. Thank you so much for inviting me and I'm super excited to see what comes out of this session today. Me too. So Gio, just a quick introduction. He's been working in sales and training for the last 10 plus years across multiple industries, right? Hospitality, TV production, real estate and tech. Um, so lots of variety. And throughout his career, he's created SOPs for training um, at companies with global reach, has been involved in multiple transactions totaling four plus million dollars. That's amazing, Gio. And uh, he's been working at Wander since 2020, supporting our sales team, internal information transfer to the production team and implementation of new ways to become more efficient in uh, the ever evolving environment of product design. So he's helped bring on board uh, more than 20 new clients and has been looking forward to pushing the number further in 2020. Well said, Jenny. Well said. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gio, we're going to start off with a quick round of rapid fire questions just so the audience gets to know a little bit more about you. So let me know when you're ready. All right, let's do this. I'm not, man, I'm, not, I'm never ready for the rapid fire, but let's do it. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Bogota, Colombia. Where are you now? Los Angeles. I've uh, been in the U.S. though for 20 years already. Came in 2001. And what's a book that you think everyone should be reading? I really love what I learned in Getting to Yes. Getting to Yes is a book that, that helped me really understand how discussions work, how negotiations work, and, and really how to separate issues from people. I think that concept, when I learned it, I was like, wow. And I started implementing that in my daily life, and it was life-changing. So getting to yes, I think professionally would be my first recommendation. Is that what you use to get your wife to say yes to you? <laughs> I try to, although sometimes it feels like she uses it better on me. <laughs> All right. What is one app you cannot live without? I think that's easy. YouTube. YouTube. I am on YouTube for everything. Yeah, I don't use Spotify. I don't use anything for music because I get all my music in YouTube. I get all the video content for you for you from YouTube. Um, we don't have cable at home, so all the media that we consume is also through YouTube or other subscription services. But um, for a lot of practical stuff, YouTube has helped me conduct, uh, you know, very handy projects at home, train our dog, learn new things in cooking, learn new things in sales, repair stuff in my car, keeps me fed with all the music that I love about, you know, with all my favorite artists and helps me learn very important concepts for all other aspects of life. So YouTube has got a hold of me, I think. What do you think is the best invention of all time? The internet is a, is a really important one because I feel like we've created a monster 
But at the same time, that has allowed so many people worldwide to access infinite sources of information. And I feel as a as a species, it has significantly reduced a lot of time that would go between invention and invention and invention and invention. So yeah, I think the internet is the most important invention of all time. All right, two more questions. What's your all-time favorite accomplishment? When it comes to accomplishments, um, being able to wow, tie, tying back to that book that I was that I was talking about. Um, while that talks about detaching issues from people, I think one of my my biggest personal accomplishment has been being able to put my abilities as, 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 as something almost detached from myself and focusing on how can those be applied across all these multiple industries, right? Most of the time, at least, at, at least in sales and in personal interactions, you are dealing with, uh, with people on both ends. Um, so being able to detach my person from my abilities and being able to use them and say, okay, so this is the challenge that I have. How can I use these abilities to understand this challenge and to tackle it in the most efficient and effective way? Um, I think that has been my, my, my biggest achievement because that has enabled me to, you know, pivot industries as needed and being successful in those industries as well. So yeah, I think that's my final answer. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And what is the biggest challenge you're working on now? Hmm. Personal or professional? You can pick whatever you want, however you want to interpret that question. <laughs> personal, it's um, adapting to a diet that is eradicating psoriasis from my body. For those who don't know, I, I have psoriasis and it's, it's genetic. I had no clue that I had this in my genes until 25 and then from 25 um, to 36, which is my age, by the way. I've been dealing with this and I found ways to effectively eliminate it. Um, but because up until 25, you know, I had access to all this amazing stuff, like all the foods that I would, that I wanted to, to have, it's been a little bit challenging for me to, uh, to commit to that diet that will ultimately heal me. But that's one of the biggest challenges personally that I'm working on professionally, um, adapting to the current environment, you know, after 2020, so many things changed and that has impacted industries like ours so tech in general of course has been significantly impacted by this but working on ways to help wander adapt to that new environment and i think that's a really good segue into our interview today i'd love for you to elaborate a little bit more about the challenges that you're seeing um, within wander and maybe with our clients these new changes with with remote work yeah so um one of the things that that you know everybody will always hear me say especially when i'm talking a little bit about wander is the fact that we've been doing remote work since before remote was a thing right oh, um yeah, yeah exactly uh, so in a way we were in touch in touch with the times already but uh pros and cons with everything right so that really helps us to tap into great talent from around the world without you know, limiting ourselves to only what's available here in Los Angeles. Um, but at the same time, um, that creates some challenges in, in communication, in creating those standards that everybody must abide by. And, and although everybody's bringing that, that, you know, their own cultural touch into their professional output, um, 
it is important to establish certain standards that everyone can adhere to. So that's something that I feel like we have done very effectively here at Wander, like create a way for us to maintain a constantly high design output. Um, but talking about challenges that people within the industry are facing, for example, that we can help, but sometimes we're not able to help because they come to us like, okay, I need a complete redesign of my platform in a month. You know, that's, although I'm exaggerating a little bit, this, this is basically driving home a point that while we can help our clients achieve what they need to achieve, sometimes there's a disconnect in their expectation. And I feel like some some of that is in part due to the great resignation, right? Like I some of the clients that I talk to, they've had, you know, a design team or a designer in place and they've recently lost them because, you know, they 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 found a different job or they just don't want to do this anymore, whatever the reason is. And that's I feel part of what's fueling this uh hey, I need this done in 30 days or in 45 days which is unfortunately not feasible for us, even if we weren't in this environment, right? But that's, that's I feel, one of the biggest challenges um, so far. Let's expand a little bit more on that great resignation because that has been a big challenge, I know, for the client side and also for Wander. Like, we have been constantly on hiring mode and I know with our clients, like, they're also not able to hire talent fast enough and some of them reach out to agencies specifically for them to ramp up pretty quickly right right and then uh, ramping up um at wonder for example uh it it it, it would take us two weeks on the regular, uh, but because of the current uh, current changes in, in the environment, it's taking us about three weeks now. Um, and, and we want to be very upfront with our clients about that, right? Because that is, if, if time is one of your main decision factors, then this is ultimately gonna impact that. And if so, you know, are we still a fit? Um, so, so yeah, adapting to that has been a little bit tough, but luckily those, who see the value in what we present and what we bring to the table, you know, they, those who really want that, that tried and true process, um, that structure that we have in place supporting the teams that are assigned to uh, the multiple projects that we have, um, those who see the value in that will find a way to, to work with us. And also those who prepare in advance. I feel like that's that's something really important to to find because I can come here and tell you, hey, yeah, I need a, you know, I, I want an app that does this. Give me details, give me functionality. Like what exactly is it that you're looking for? Like, can you please put together in a sheet what you, what your ideal product would do? And it's as simple as that, like an Excel sheet. But um yeah, I feel like that 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 is also a bit of a challenge. Yeah, and I was gonna say that it feels like such a simple thing to do and it's such an understatement of how valuable it is but so many leads and our clients will come to us and these aren't just small startups these are large companies sometimes fortune 500 companies and they're just so unprepared to work with a team like ours like they have expectations like you said some of them will say hey like we want to get this entire ux done within a month and we want to start yesterday you yeah. know, and and for them, it's 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 almost like a a qualifying factor that we are 
like ready to go tomorrow when in fact they are not even ready to start tomorrow if we really needed to, right? So what are what other expectations are you seeing that uh, might be a big challenge for these companies and how they can better prepare themselves to not only work with design agencies, but just UX people in general? Well, there's a few things that we deliver, for example, as, you know, by default and everything that we do um, that I see that some com- companies don't have. And I know it may be a little bit hard to see the value in those as you're, you know, let's say you already have a team and you're looking for, uh, you know, team augmentation or increasing your your bandwidth so that you can keep advancing, but also bridge, bridge some gaps that you have identified. Um there's little things like information architecture, service blueprint, um, having all of your user flows clearly laid out that will ultimately help whether it is a designer that you're hiring, whether it is someone from you know a freelance agency that you're that you're hiring, or someone or, or bringing in a team of experts, a design agency like Wonder, for example, um, that I feel would be extremely useful. Because sometimes some of the products that 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 our clients or some leads that I've talked to have can be very, very complex. So just having those three things, an information architecture, a service blueprint, and a, a clear diagram of all your user flows, how they interact and what they need to do, how they need to get to point from point A to B, could be extremely valuable, even if it's just for you to have and to update. It's literally one of those things that you would have on the wall pasted so that everybody can look at it and refer to it, maybe contribute to it if needed, or do changes as long as everybody's in agreement. And I've noticed that whenever we build that for a client, they're able to take that and run with it. And basically, they have a blueprint of the house if they want to build a new bathroom in the house, for example, right? So they'll know where everything is. They'll know where support pillars are and so on. Uh, they'll know where the, the the aqueduct comes in and so on. So it's super important to have those three key elements to convey what you have. Now, if beyond that, you have, for example, everything laid out in, in Figma and well-documented, Amazing, because not only do we understand how it currently works and where each interaction leads and where each element of your product interacts with each other element to produce an outcome for the end user, but we will also know what was going through the designer's mind when they created this, right? And and I feel like at Wonder, we've created a, a documentation library that that is is really really useful not only internally but also for collaboration with our clients teams and that documentation is also often overlooked like a lot of times i i'll talk to 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 leads or clients that do have those design files but that's it. So when you come in, even if you're a designer or a product strategist, or project manager, or whatever you are, you come in and you look at that. And unless someone is walking you through what you're looking at, it is possible that you're, you're not going to make complete sense of it. Or, you know, even if you're an expert, you see something, but you're not going to get the whole picture. So usually these elements are really important. The information architecture, service blueprint, flows, and proper documentation of everything that you have in Figma. Not to mention design systems, but that's another story. 
Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of disorganization in terms of how design flows throughout the organization, right? Um, a lot of times it could be where they're storing design files or like what the latest uh, updates are and what the designers are using might be even different than what the developers are using. Agreed, agreed. And that is where the sign systems come in handy because, you know, I, I, I love using that and I see that replicated elsewhere, but, but it's true. It's a single source of truth, the design system that will save you industrial amounts of time and design and development. Um, and that coupled with a product roadmap and a clear vision of what you want to achieve will ultimately help not only your internal team, but also whoever comes in to support that internal team. Um, understand what you're trying to do, what you currently have, and therefore help you get to where you want to go. Yeah. And I I love that you bring this up because there's just so many nuances that companies overlook. Um, and I don't know about you, but so I when I look at trends in UX and some of the challenges that our clients and leaves have been facing, it seems that over the last 10 years, so I've been doing UX for 10 years, um, UX has always been something that has been an afterthought. Everyone puts in so much uh, stress and importance in engineering and like engineering talent. And it only feels like in the last two, three years, UX has really blown up and every company is like, oh, God, we got to invest more into UX. But they, to them, it's okay, we're putting money into UX, but they don't actually know what that means. Like they don't know how to put in the preparation and organization and how even the leadership team, how their leadership team is impacted by becoming more design centric. So I'd love to hear from you, like what are some of the trends or challenges um, that you're also seeing with uh, some of the leads and, and clients you're talking to? Well, when it comes to user experience, I mean, the name says it, right? You have to talk to the user. You have to focus on the user for, you know, to create an experience for them. And a lot of times um, what happens is that, yes, you want to get a product out there to get the feedback from the people, but are you really going to blow it up and say, okay, the feedback that I've been getting is terrible, so I, I just need to scratch this and start over again. Are, are you really gonna do that? Or are you really gonna say, hey, you know, this feature that I, I, I know I would find extremely useful is not a hit. Like, why is it not a hit? What are people not looking at? Or what are, what are they not seeing? And, and a lot of times we see that not talking to the end user, not identifying user personas is a thing because, hey, I have this idea and I've seen other apps that do this, but I wanted to create an app that combines all of that. Great. Amazing. That's a great idea. But let's talk specifics and how are we going to do this and who is going to be the end user? If you haven't identified that, unfortunately, there's some work that needs to be done. And all of that is part of user experience, like user experience and user interface design is not just, hey, come up with some colors and paint this and make it look pretty. There's so much more that goes behind it. And what you were saying earlier, um, the fact that it was an afterthought uh, for a lot of products that were created before, I want to say 2016, roughly, um, it, it, is, it is a thing that you're seeing today where they've come they've come so far in developing features and they, they become feature rich 
And now they're having issues with discoverability, um, making sure that all of their users are really taking full advantage of all the functionality that this offers. And maybe sometimes disenfranchising some of the new users that come on board because you've been catering to those that are most technically proficient. So that balance can be achieved before and let's face it product is never going to be done right product is an you know product design is an iterative process that that will always be prone to improvements um but really the best thing you can do it's like <laughs> when you're buying a house or when you're buying a car like you're gonna go out and you're gonna take a look at different things you're gonna see different cars and different dealers and you're gonna compare prices and maybe financing terms and mileage and condition and so on and once you've narrowed that down you have what you need to make a decision well for design this is gonna be your cash cow, let's say, or what's going to ultimately drive your company, how are you not investing that time, that due diligence in developing stuff and creating stuff? So talk to users, identify user personas. There's no substitute for user interviews. There's no substitute for user research. And once you have that, grab it and synthesize it into actionable design points so that you can come up with the best possible product. It is, it's still mind boggling how some of these big companies operate without any user research. Like a lot of times these are product managers who will, you know, they'll hear from customer, um, customer support team, like, oh, we need to build out a feature. So therefore we're going to build this feature out. As you said, they're feature rich, but how that feature works and it incorporates to the rest of the user experience might not be flushed out very well because they're not actually doing the research and talking to the users. And it's amazing like how little companies are investing into research. And when we quote clients, a lot of times they're like, oh, that's great, but it, you know, it's a little expensive. Let's take the research out. And to us, that's like that's like the most important thing. Like, okay, we we can design something and and we'll design it to our best ability using best practices, but we don't know your users. We gotta talk to them, and you're blocking us from from being successful, from delivering you success that your team needs. And sometimes it's a little bit frustrating because it's it's literally like a guessing game. Um, but yeah, and and I love what you brought up about product never being done because I we also have uh, clients who are like, okay, this is the end point. Like, we'll give you guys eight weeks, and we want you to deliver deliver the next Uber, and that's the final product. But no, product will never be done, right? So, uh, so why do you think companies are looking for agencies versus hiring in house? Um. Part of that would be the process, the quote-unquote pool of talent, and I can elaborate on that a little bit, but the process, the pool of talent, and having that outsider point of view, I think that's something that the clients that have successfully worked with us and continue to engage with us have valued quite a bit. And particularly, for example, the U.S. Air Force, I've heard them say it, I've heard... Um, Luke Commerce, for example, another another really, really important client for us has, has said that. Um, and it's basically being able to bring in a trained eye 
to see what you're doing and give you feedback on it, right? And not just give you feedback, but actually being able to work on that without your direct supervision. Now, granted, everything that we do here at Wander is collaborative, right? So we've, you know, through time, we've discovered that the best guardrail against scope creep is actually having client buy-in at every step of the process. And that's something that we that we stress quite a bit throughout our projects. Um, and we, we achieve that by, by conducting weekly check-ins and sometimes we participate in our clients' daily meetings, daily stand-up meetings and so on. So we can be as involved or as touchless as possible, never doing anything without at least one weekly check-in with our clients. So going back to why an agency has been you know, the, 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 the route of choice for some of our clients is that bringing that trained eye, that expert eye to the processes that they may be involved in day in and day out. And there may be some things that they're missing or there may be best practices that they're not following. And with us, at least I can speak for wonder, the fact that we work across multiple different industries that really helps us identify certain things that have worked in this one and this one and this one and this one. Because yes, our process is transferable, but um, maybe we can apply something that worked in this particular example to this because, yeah, we have the experience. We've done this. So I think that brings a lot of value to the table. And also the fact that we have that design quality assurance process, right? We have uh, design leads. We have strategy leads that will help bounce back ideas uh, you know, with our team members, and that will ultimately contribute to a much, much better implementation of design. So the process, the external trained eye, the, um, the pool of resources. So because we have multiple different uh, designers and strategists in our roster, um, it is very, very useful sometimes to be able to tap into that experience. So let's say you have a resource that has been assigned specifically to your project and they have relevant experience in whatever you're doing, um, but maybe there's someone in our team that can contribute a little bit to that. This happens behind the scenes, but we have multiple Slack channels and I constantly see them and, and I love what I see because I learned so much about design. We have something called the Geek Fleet, for example, which I love uh, because it helps me learn so much. We have uh, Show and Tell or Lunch and Learn. There's different activities that help us feed that collective brain, right? So agencies versus bringing in your own resource Yes, there's a premium to that, but there's also a premium in the value that you're getting out of it. And, and, and I think the balance is found in getting a cost that you are comfortable with or that you would normally allocate, for example, for hiring someone in-house. But you're talking about something over a year and how long is it going to take for you to train this person and to get them used to whichever procedures you have and to actually begin producing output that is tangible versus, okay, you're going to invest this that you would in a year, but you're going to invest it over, let's say, three, four months. But by the end of those four months, you will have a specific project tackled effectively. Um, so I feel like that is a very, very distinct advantage of working with an agency like ours versus going out and doing this on your own.
Yeah, you just brought up such a great point because, you know, a lot of companies forget like it's not even about the monetary investment, right? If you have, let's say, $120,000 for the year to invest in, that's only going to get you maybe one mid-level to senior level UX designer in California. And that person might take a year to really ramp up and deliver the work that you need versus hiring an agency for that same timeline we can deliver in three to four months because of the composition of the team that we provide. Um, you know, we have the researcher, the strategist, and the designer. Um, so, and, and the important part too is when you're working in tech, time is so important. Right, how fast you're able to deliver to your users new features and being able to deliver better quality over a shorter period of time to build that trust with them that I think is so important. And not to not to mention, um, you know, you're also delivering to investors and they want to see these milestones being built uh, or being achieved um, at a faster pace. Now let's talk about that agency experience a little bit more because I know a lot of our leads and clients have the same question uh, when they're shopping around for agencies. They see a wide range of price points from, you know, they have offshore dev teams all the way to US-based companies and they're getting prices all over, prices and timeline all over the map. So Gio, can you talk to us a little bit more about why we have such a wide range in the industry for agencies? Well, um, I think a good starting point for that is the scoping of a process, right? So I've heard I've heard people ask me about, hey, so this is going to be about 50 pages. How much is it going to be, right? Or, yeah, how much <laughs> do you charge that, per page? I hate that. What is a page? You know, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's multiple definitions for that, right? So when it comes to scoping, we take it very seriously because we can't. If 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 there's something that we can't commit, if there's something that we say, okay, let's go in, let's do the research, and as we're doing the research, we say, hey, we know you've you've passed on all the information that you had at the time in good faith. Fantastic. But there's these things that we've discovered that maybe you weren't aware of. And how are we going to approach that? And then that becomes a whole discussion, right? So in order to address that, because that has happened to us in the past, we've come to um, take our scoping process very seriously. And it normally takes us about five business days to create a proposal um, from the moment that our client or, or that the lead, the prospect, uh, decides that it is time for us to move forward, right? From the time that they see what we've done, we've presented to them relevant examples to the project at hand, and then, okay, they're ready to proceed with a proposal. Fantastic. So it's going to take us about five business days. And then during those five business days, we ask them for everything they have. And this is tying back to my initial point. It's This is where it's very important to look at your information architecture, your service blueprint, and, and multiple other factors that will help us draw a clear picture into where you are, what you have, and where you want to go. And now how long is it going to take for us to do that? And what are we going to be doing on every day? Because that's how we literally build our proposals. We talk about day one, day two, day three, day four, day five in multiple weeks. And that's extremely important when 
determining the cost of a project. Uh, at least here at Wonder, we always talk about a project in terms of time because the deliverables are pretty pretty standard, I would say, right? So when it comes to deliverables, yes, we will hand over all the Figma files. We will create a design system, at least with all the uh, design assets that we have created throughout our engagement. And, you know, whenever needed, yes, we will create uh, the, the other elements that I've mentioned earlier, information architecture, service blueprint, user personas, if you need them. Um, so taking the scoping into account, we've come up with a way to work in terms of time as opposed to you know charging by page or by hour that that concept of time in weeks versus hours is very powerful because sometimes some resources may need a little bit more to you know push them over the hill than others and that is yet another point that is valuable of working with an agency right the structure that we have helps us muster resources internally to deliver a successful product. Um, now, what I've seen sometimes is that proposals that our clients have from other vendors um, may not have that much thought behind the scoping, right? So we could very well come up with a price and say, hey, work with us. We're the lowest price. Um, and then once you're in the door, yeah, you're already engaged with us. So, hey, listen, we've come up with this other thing and this other thing and this other thing, and it's only going to get more expensive. Going back to the analogy of the mechanic, right? You go to a mechanic for one thing, they run they run it through the computer, the computer sets as this, and then the mechanic with their know-how says, okay, I'm going to fix this, but the problem is still there. So now let's try this other thing and this other thing and this other thing. We want to avoid that by having as clear a picture as we can from the very beginning and creating a scope that is basically a bespoke solution to what you're trying to address. So I feel like scoping is one of the first elements that, that creates that disparity between the pricing. Um, the other factor might be where your resources are at, like wh what you said, like some companies have teams in other places and, you know, us included, we have, we have teams here in the US, we have teams in Canada, we have teams in, in Latin America and it it becomes a matter of how the uh, of hmm i think i've hit a i've hit a a bit of a wall here uh jenny but i want to get to trying to explain a little bit of that price difference right so if we talk about companies that ha that are completely us based they're going to have a much different price point to companies that have teams in diverse locations like ours and that is part of our competitive advantage. Now, if a, if, if a client specifies that they really need a U.S.-based team, like the U.S. Air Force, for example, they can only work with U.S.-based resources, fantastic. We can do that, but that comes at a premium. And that's usually 25% above the normal rate that we have, where if we, if, you know, if, if you don't mind, if you have a resource from outside the U.S., you know, we can assign you a very qualified resource, but that is not based in the U.S. So... I feel like that's part of what contributes to that disparity. And there's no industry standard. There's no agency, you know, no regulatory agency that says, hey, this is what, what should be charged and so on. Because UX is a bit of a young discipline, also tying back to why it was an afterthought not so long ago. Yeah. And there's a few things that you just mentioned there that I want to touch upon. And the first thing is... Um, having different agencies where the talent is based um, 
outside of the U.S., right? You're going to start having, yes, you're going to get much lower price points. So for instance, if you have a design team out in India, you're going to pay a fraction of the price of a, a team that's based here in the U.S. But what you're going to get is one, um, time zone management, like you're going to be in a completely different time zone, having to be on calls really late at night or early in the morning. And then two, also cultural difference, right? You know, they might have uh, the same process as a U.S.-based team, but the way that work is being delivered and communicated might be a completely different experience um, than the ones that you have here. And I want to just highlight with our team what I love what I why I love building our team is we don't necessarily look for the cheapest talent, but more so the most important thing for us is finding the best talent, whether that uh, that talent is here in the U.S. or um, overseas or near shore. For us, what's most important is one, the cultural fit and two, the having the best talent. Um, and the other thing I also wanted to touch upon is, you know, when we were when you were mentioning um, when you were mentioning scope, and a lot of times the leads and clients that we work with, you mentioned they don't even know what they have because you know you might have a VP of product that. Um, that just came in three months ago. So their knowledge of the product might not be as in-depth as they they would like it to be. And so when we're scoping or when we start working with these clients, we start discovering like, oh shit, like we didn't even know that you knew that there was, you know, all this other functionalities. And now that's throwing our timeline off completely because of, you know, um, because of this, I don't want to say unpreparation from the client side, but sometimes they just don't know what they don't know. Um, Agreed. And so, so talk to me a little bit more about um, the importance of aligning on one the vision and how we're able to get that information from our clients. The easiest way for me to say it is, you know, seeing the world through your eyes, right? So the easiest way for our team to see the world through our clients' eyes is. Yes, going through an audit of what they currently have, but in practice, it is getting all of the stakeholders that have an influence in the outcome of this project in the same virtual room, in the same Zoom call, um, and allowing them to participate and to voice their concerns or their ideas in the form of a design thinking workshop, or sometimes we just call it an alignment workshop because, you know, design will come a little bit later. Well, you know, ultimately it's a workshop where we want to talk to all of your stakeholders. And that really enables us to understand how things are working within the company, right? So what is the vision and how aligned is the execution to the vision? Um, where does sales pull towards to? Where does customer success pull towards to where does engineering pull towards marketing, design, et cetera. And sometimes you realize that they're actually pulling in different directions. Of course, everybody's trying to do their job. Everybody's trying to get the right resources for their own department. But in doing so, um, you know, the true north can be blurred a little bit. So when we come into these workshops and we allow everybody to participate, it's like creating a safe space for everybody to contribute. 
And that contribution will ultimately shed light onto what can be done to improve what is currently in place and how how, for example, customer success is transferring information to either engineering or design, and from there, what happens, all of that understanding is extremely important because based on that, we will be able to say, okay, so now that we know what you want to you want us to do, knowing that this is how you work, may I suggest that you modify one thing or another in your process because if we deliver this to you, it's going to be delivered and it's going to work. But if things keep going the way they're going, it's not going to last too long. And your investment is not going to have its you know, highest and best use. So that alignment is extremely, extremely important and needs to happen the first day of the project. That's why we always kick off our projects. Oh, yeah. Us. Oh, yeah. Like we have had moments where we we thought we were going to lose a client because their team, the client team was so misaligned with what was to be delivered or, or even how it was delivered. Um, I don't know if you remember that one client where, you know, the CTO wanted design deliverables right away. And then the product manager wanted to go right into two, three weeks of research. And there was a collision of a conflict of interest that ultimately put us in the on the chopping block versus the clients agreeing to what actually needed to be delivered. And so that stakeholder interview and alignment workshop is so important for not just working with a design agency, but just any team in, in general. Like every stakeholder that has part of product development needs to be 100% aligned on how things are being delivered and what needs to be done at what timeline. Agreed. Agreed. And sometimes that disconnect, it's it's better to detect it earlier than later because otherwise it, put things, in, it puts things in jeopardy. And, and ultimately... You know, I remember for this client, we were suggesting to conduct that research. Uh, we were suggesting to start there. But the ultimate decision maker um, apparently had one vision that wasn't communicated with this with this other one. And, and ultimately, I think it ended favorably um, because we delivered something that they were happy with. But um, ultimately, I think... It was a bumpy road. <laughs> yeah, it was a bumpy road. And I think they ended up uh, losing that that person that was like... A roadblock, if not losing, and I mean losing from the project standpoint. I'm not sure if the person was not participating in the project anymore or if the person just uh, left the company, but it almost seemed like it almost seemed like the person was invested in not seeing us succeed. And once that changed, everything changed for the better. So it's so weird, right? Not only is it how are things laid out, but also the people and egos and how all that gets in the way. So, oh, yeah. yeah, in addition, like as if it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, talk, talk about, about the issue, not the people. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's you see, that's why it's extremely important. But but yeah, it's a it's a thing as if there wasn't as if there weren't enough variables with design itself. You also have to deal with the people. So it's it's, it's super interesting. But that's part of what we do. That whole education of the customer or the client, uh, helping them see the value in what we do. The ideal client for us, and I always tell this to people when I hear it on calls, I'm like, oh my God, I am so relieved that you're talking to me about it because normally it's me talking to you about it and telling you 
helping you see the value in that. So I really love it when when clients come in and they say, hey, we know we need the research. We know we need this. So how are we going to do it? And that's the most beautiful relationship that we can begin. Yeah, I love that. I love um, when we have clients that come in and they see the value of design. And those are, as you said, those are the type of partnerships that we are looking for, because otherwise what ends up happening is we're educating our leads on, and we don't mind, but we're constantly having to educate why they need to invest into research, user experience design, and not let those things become an afterthought and something where they're like, oh, we only have... or $20,000 to invest into UX, whereas we're spending, you know, quarter million plus on engineering. Like we love clients uh, that see the value of good design because that is ultimately going to help them um, get the most out of their return on investment and uh, succeed as as a company. My last question. So for any companies that are looking to invest into UX um, or even hire a design agency, what would be your best advice to them? Knowing what you want and also being open to understanding that we're bringing more than just a designer, more than just a strategist to the table. We're bringing that collective brain that is focused on UX, that is passionate about UX and let us guide you right don't don't impose like you're coming to an agency for a reason you're coming to an expert for a reason it's like me showing up to a doctor and telling him what my symptoms are and what i think it is which okay so why did i go to the doctor anyway right so i think being knowing knowing what you need and being open to to letting it flow the way we normally flow would be the best the best word of advice because otherwise yeah you can you can hire someone from from Upwork and you can you can hire someone and train them yourself but um it is going to require a lot of time from your part as well and that is the main reason the main reason why you're coming over you're coming over because you don't want to be deeply involved in that yeah if, and if i can be more specific to what you just said i think mm-hmm. what would be helpful is knowing what kind of partnership or what kind of working collaboration you want with Mm -hmm. a team because you might not even know what you want to build but if you have the right partners and collaborators you're going to get to the vision that you want so I think that I'd like to specify and say know what kind of partnership you want yeah yeah that's true and 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 I like that you mentioned that because when it comes to partnerships as well, we have worked with uh multiple other agencies in different capacities right uh sometimes it's for development sometimes it's for for marketing but creating that partnership network I think is something that is very valuable too so I had something just last week where you know they came to us. And we were in a fit, unfortunately, because one of their designing factors, one of the, the the prospects' designing factors, was that the agency had experience um, in life science, I believe. And we do have some experience with healthcare. We do have some experience with some apps that are involved with life science at a you know at a, at a certain level, but not in the deep level that they wanted to. So we refer them to one of our 
sister companies, as I like to call that. And, and, and I think being able to leverage that, that network is really interesting because we're ultimately here to help. Our time is coming to an end. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience? Design first is probably one of the wisest investments that you can do. So design it, think it through, and then go build it. Instead of just go build it and put it in front of people and then get feedback because honestly, that can work, but it's not the most effective route. So design it before you build it. <laughs> I love it. Measure measure twice, cut once. <laughs> yes, exactly. That, that is my closing thought, I think. Awesome. Thank you so much, Gio, for your time. And for anyone who is interested in working with our team, Gio will be there to greet you at the door. All you have to do is go to our website and book a time with our very own Giovanni Hanal. My pleasure, Jenny. Thank you for having me.